This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. From coast to coast and around the nation, this is the Washington Ledger Podcast with your hosts, Larry Leese and Jacob Siegel. Each week, we dive into the latest news surrounding us. Welcome to the Political Pulse Show. I'm your host, Larry Leese. On today's episode, we're going to dive into the latest headlines from around the world. But first, we'd like to remind you, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search The Political Poll Show. Of course, give us a thumbs up if you like our videos, and subscribe to the channel for even more content. And now, we're going to take a look at the Republican primary landscape currently. Governor Ron DeSantis hit a rough patch on his campaign trail, as the world observed the commencement of his campaign was marked by a slew of technical gaffes. But more significant than any glitch is the pattern of frequent staff turnover. The departure of a campaign manager mid-campaign is a surefire education indication excuse me, of internal strife. This, coupled with DeSantis's seemingly singular focus on his gubernatorial record, paints a portrait of a campaign in disarray. But is a national campaign fundamentally different from a state one? As one pollster put it, it's like transitioning from 8th grade basketball to the NBA Finals. And now we're going to... F- Turn to the Haley campaign. Former South Governor, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, however, seems to be navigating her campaign waters with more grace. Capitalizing on her gubernatorial record and her stint as a UN ambassador, she's created a unique narrative. Where DeSantis might be struggling, Haley has harnessed her past to present herself as a diverse and competent candidate. Their approaches might be worlds apart, but both candidates bank heavily on their executive experience. Did the debate shift the sands? For many of Nikki Haley's supporters, the answer is yes. Her demeanor and performance of the debate seem to have boosted her appeal. Yet the broader challenge remains for all candidates in this race, distinguishing themselves in a field that often seems crowded with similar pitches, with some staunch Trump supporters, others who are open to alternatives, and a fraction who want a completely different option. Candidates are battling for attention and differentiation. And then we have Mike Pence. Former Vice President Mike Pence took a different route, appealing to the party's roots by championing a return to traditional conservative values, like limited government. Pence is attempting to veer the conversation away from the more populist sentiments that Trump embodied. But the key question is, does this pitch resonate with primary voters? The 2016 election might suggest otherwise. The Republican primary is shaping up to be a contest of strategies, narratives, and the ability to stand out in a sea of similar pitches. As candidates grapple with their campaign messages and the specter of past elections, it will be interesting to observe which strategies win the day. And then we were recently 
learned that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is launching an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy recently announced that House Republicans have found serious and credible allegations regarding President Biden's conduct. He highlighted that these allegations display a potential culture of corruption. The Republican Party has been investigating the Biden family for months, with a particular focus on Hunter Biden's business dealings. However, the inquiries so far have not shown any definitive evidence that the president acted in a way that personally benefited himself or his family. White House spokesman Ian Sams commented on the announcement, terming it extreme politics at its worst. The White House is long prepared for such an announcement and has coordinated responses at the ready. They have been refuting allegations by emphasizing that despite nine months of investigations, Republicans have not revealed any concrete evidence against the president. The move comes as the House reconvenes after summer recess, with conservatives pushing for an impeachment motion, particularly in light of former President Trump's indictments. McCarthy's announcements seems like an effort to unite the Republican Party and respond to the base's demands. However, McCarthy doesn't need a full House vote for an impeachment inquiry, a move that was criticized when House Speaker Nancy Pelosi did it. The decision to bypass a full House vote suggests that such a resolution might not have passed if proposed. And of course, we've gotten a Biden campaign response. The Biden-Harris campaign also joined the discussion. They've taken a proactive approach, using collected statements from Republicans who previously said there wasn't enough evidence for an investigation. By framing the inquiry as a political maneuver and McCarthy's move as a Trump campaign tactic, they're aiming to use the impeachment push for their own political advantage. Despite the announcement, there might not be significant changes to investigation. House committees that have been previously investigating President Biden and Hunter Biden will continue doing so. The key difference is the label and increased political pressure. The presence of an impeachment inquiry does necessitate a more direct response from the president. It might folks might force a more open discussion about Hunter Biden's activities and potential implications for President Biden. The inquiries shed light on the lobbying industry in Washington. While Hunter Biden's activities might seem questionable, leveraging political influence is a time-honored tradition in Washington done by members of both parties. For Kevin McCarthy, managing both an impeachment inquiry and a potential government shutdown could be treacherous. This move might be a gamble, putting many moderate Republicans in tight spots for the upcoming election. With the rise in impeachment inquiries in recent history, there is a looming question of whether it's becoming a regular occurrence, thus diluting its impact on the public. The latest move might be seen by some as a strategy to divert attention from Trump's investigations. However, the Biden campaign might be able to turn the impeachment attempts to their benefit, especially if the claims appear unfounded. And now we're going to discuss some of the recent changes towards the U.S.-Ukraine relationships. The intricate web of U.S. politics has once again placed Ukraine at the heart of American foreign policy debates. The bipartisan cons uh, consensus supporting Ukraine is now fragmenting exposing divides within political parties and broader implications for global dynamics. The isolationist movement, particularly within the Republican Party, argues for a withdrawal of support from Ukraine. Senator Rand Paul, a prominent figure of this school of thought, 
states that Europe should take the lead, but there's a catch. The Republican Party isn't a united front against Ukraine aid. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell stands in a stark contrast to the isolationist voices. A traditional neoconservative, McConnell believes in U.S. intervention on behalf of democracy, pushing the importance of aiding Ukraine. Through pointed Senate speeches, he's actively countering arguments from his party members, highlighting a clear divide among the Republicans. Contrary to popular belief, Europe has significantly supported Ukraine. The European contribution, which combines military, financial, and humanitarian aid, mirrors that of the U.S. They're providing tens of billions of dollars, showcasing a strong and united front. But where does the money really go? It's not as straightforward as it seems. A significant portion of the funds allocated for Ukraine is funneled back into U.S. defense companies. The strategy involves providing Ukraine with older U.S. weaponry and using the allocated funds to produce advanced weapons for the American military. The issue of corruption looms large when discussing aid. Drawing parallels with Afghanistan, concerns arise about the proper usage of funds. However, unlike Afghanistan, where cash and small arms were easily misused, the aid to Ukraine consists of massive weapon systems, reducing the potential for corrupt transactions. Conservative media, especially figures like Tucker Carlson, have significantly influenced public opinion, staring it against intervention in Ukraine. A CNN poll highlights th this divide. While 7 out of 10 Republicans oppose further aid, 6 out of 10 Democrats are in favor. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's visit to the U.S., aimed to solidify support while seeking weapons for Ukraine's defense, he's re also reaching out to the global community, emphasizing the geopolitical implications of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. But what's the real stakes? What if the U.S. pulls out? Should the U.S. retract its support, the consequences would be dire. Essential systems, such as Ukraine's air defenses, are heavily reliant on U.S. aid. A cessation would leave Ukraine vulnerable with severe repercussions for the balance of global power. And now we're going to talk about a topic that's kind of taking center stage as we've had serious health issues regarding certain presidents and congressional leaders. And that would be term limits for Congress. It's a subject that has captured public attention in recent years, the noticeable aging of politicians at the helm of American democracy. President Biden is 80, former President Trump is far behind at 77, and a considerable percentage of Congress comprises individuals well past retirement age. While the matter isn't about ageism, because that's a concern too, it raises questions about the capacity of our leaders to effectively perform their duties, particularly in a rapidly evolving society. What's the solution? Many argue for the implementation of term limits. So we're going to dive into various angles of this debate. But before we proceed, if you haven't already, don't forget to like this uh, video, subscribe to the channel, and ring that notification bell. And of course, we want to hear your thoughts in the comments section below. So to put things into perspective, let's look at the ages of some congressional leaders. For example, we have Alan Lowenthal, David Price, Jim Clyburn, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, and many others, all in their early 80s or beyond. They were born in the 30s and 40s. In the age of rapid technological advancements and societal shifts, many question the ability of such leaders to connect with the needs and aspirations of younger generations. As one 
commentator aptly asked, how many of them can convert a PDF or turn on their laptop? Publicly visible health incidents involving elderly politicians like Mitch McConnell's multiple freeze-ups during press conferences or Dianne Feinstein's apparent confusion on how to vote are increasingly making headlines. While these incidents may seem minor, they're indi- indicative of the larger issue, age-related cognitive and physical decline affecting a person's capability to serve in a high-pressure demanding role. To put it bluntly, it feels almost like elder abuse to have these individuals continue in their roles rather than enjoying a well-earned retirement. Interestingly, the issue of term limits seems to be one of the few things that both the left and right can agree upon. From social media comments to public discourse, people are questioning why politicians can serve for decades effectively turning political service into a lifelong career rather than a term of public service. The counterargument often put forth is that experience and wisdom come with age. Senior politicians often possess years, sometimes decades, of legislative experience that can be invaluable. Yet the real question is, at what point does experience turn into a liability rather than an asset? Both President Biden and former President Trump have faced questions about their mental sharpness irrespective of their political ideologies. This raises an ethical question. Should there be an upper age limit for politicians? If pilots, surgeons, and other professionals have ages and fitness criteria, shouldn't the same apply to those who lead countries? What America urgently needs is a fresh infusion of new ideas, perspectives, and energy. While experience is valuable, clinging to power for decades only serves to stifle innovation and fails to reflect the changing demographics of a nation. Term limits could be the reset button we need, ensuring that public service remains what it was meant to be, a temporary sacrifice and not a lifelong career. So it's time to rally behind this cause that can unite Americans from both sides of the aisle. Implementing term limits won't solve all of America's problems, but it's certainly a step in the right direction for a more agile, responsive, and adaptive governance. So let us know your thoughts in the comments section below. What do you think about term limits? Should we have them? Should we not have them? Let us know. And of course, give us a thumbs up if you like our video, subscribe to the channel, and if you want to support the show, you can go ahead and buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TWLedger. And of course, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Washington Ledger Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the W Ledger and like us on Facebook. If you like what you hear, join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Washington Ledger. And as always, have a great week.